It's a fan favorite. It's one that will always play. I knew it was special, and you're just hoping at that point that you don't fuck it up. It is unconventional while being conventional at the same time. When we play that song live, it feels more of like a victory. When we like notice something that we do a lot, then it's like our mission to strip it out. everybody and welcome to Tracks, the official Avenged Sevenfold podcast hosted by myself, Bees, where we take you through the Avenged Sevenfold back catalogue one track at a time. And we like to come in as hot as possible on Tracks and this might be the hottest, spiciest take we've ever fired at you in the history of this show. Certainly straight out of the gate anyway, at least, maybe. Anyway, you'll be able to tell that Buried Alive from 2000. 2010's Nightmare album is the song that we're going to be looking at on this episode. You know that as you've taken the incredibly wise decision to click on it. toughest task putting together any song on this show comes when we have to approach the Nightmare record because it was such an emotional and unstable time in the band's history. Memories are justifiably a little shot and fraught when we cover this album, but when I was asking about the recording of this song and how the subject matter must have made this song particularly difficult to record, here is Mr. M Shadows with a pretty huge statement on how he feels about this song and Zaki with some follow-up on how the band's emotions ran through the blood of the Nightmare record. I don't really remember the the recording process much, but I do know that Buried Alive, when someone says, what's your favorite Avenged Sevenfold song? Buried Alive always comes right to the front of conscious. It's one of my favorite things we've done. I think it has some shortcomings that, um, and that's purely on a production level. I think if we knew then what we know now, we could have really let that song sing. But I think it does a really good job. And I think, by the way, I think most bands, like you look at early Metallica, some of that production doesn't let the band do what they do best in my, those records are amazing. 
but there's something they learned as they got older that really let things dynamically move. Um, that song could have had some more ebbs and flows just because it's written in a way that would have really utilized that. Our job as songwriters and as performers, I think we did a good job on that one. I, and it's, it always, you know, cause you can never pick your favorite child, but that's one that you have to pay attention when the, the same song always comes up to front of mind when someone says, what's your favorite song? It's like buried alive. It's like, that's one I really am proud of. Honestly, I think the entire nightmare album is just, you know, coded with this, um, overtone of sadness and doom and anger, um, across, across every song. There's, there's very little hope or anything within that album. We really left everything that we were feeling. Um, and I still feel, I can still feel how I felt when we recorded it. Like I wanted people to feel how we felt. I didn't want them to feel happy or joy. I wanted people to feel miserable. And that's, and it's a terrible thing to say, but I wanted people to feel how we felt. I wanted people to hurt. And we tried to do everything we could to, to carry each other throughout the process. And we did because everyone would have their moments of complete, you know, breakdowns and we just carried each other, carried each other. But that never really showed us a light at the end of the tunnel. It was just about getting the album finished, getting the songs finished. And then, you know, that could have been it. It's funny to look back at it now because when we play that song live, it feels more of like a, like a, a victory. It doesn't feel like it has that darkness. It feels like we fucking kill build it and, and broke ourselves out of the fucking coffin that we were buried in. And, and, and there's a crowd out there and tens of thousands of people fucking, it's just, it's amazing. But at the time, you know, it would be impossible to, to recreate how we were feeling. It's a, just a wild thing. Now, to suggest that there is a blueprint for the hard rock or metal epic would be that little bit too simplistic to that type of song. But there is something of a lineage for the type of song that you'd put Buried Alive in league with. To paint the picture further, we're talking about songs that start with something simplistic and minimalist, but go on to create an almost cinematic universe across the length of a song with thrills and spills and through various moods and tones and all all wrapped up with a dramatic flair that returns us to the literal definition of the word that I mentioned earlier, epic. We'll mention a couple of the songs that we're talking about a little bit later on, but here's Matt on the starting point of Buried Alive. Well, I remember Brian had the intro riff forever. He would play it all the time, and I knew that that riff had to be in something. I remember clearly, I mean, in my backyard here, I remember constantly thinking about that intro and how it felt very um, Zeppelin classical to me. And I knew it was special. And you're just hoping at that point that it, that you don't fuck it up.
although the song quickly moves on from that, um, I think it's a really important part of the song, like to introduce you to it. I think there's like fade to blocks, like a good example of um, like the guitar in one mode, then it just changes into the a new song. But you need that sort of dark melody at the beginning, and then it, you know, and then it and it all moves and and it changes modes, and it you feel like you're going from a dead man into like daisies and the bright sunlight all of a sudden. Um, I know we were cognizant of using this in a way that was really cool. Um, the, the uh, intro guitar. And then we were really like looking for the ability to not do a ballad, but to have a ballad blended in a different way. And I think one's a good example, obviously, where you can have a song that feels serious and there's moments of heaviness, but how do you pay it off? And we wanted to pay it off by having the song just shift gears and like turn into something heavier. Take it down now, burn it all out, throw you all around, get your fucking hands off me. I wanted it to just be depthy and not just a ballad, but do like, uh, like basically what I called it is a uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody of ballads. Is <laughs> kind of what I wanted to do, and. Uh, and so this kind of started off, do, 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 do. And I had, do, do. those were all like vocal melodies, you know, that I had that I, I wanted to kind of put together. Um, and that's why it's a very melodic intro because, you know, it's, it's vocally driven. It's melodically, vocal melodically driven. I've told you before, you never, I, I personally don't uh, wish that any of the stuff that I've done that didn't make the record ever made the record. And thank God, this is another one where the checks and balances just, um, just really, really shine through. Um, and so we kind of just began to kind of make this thing. And at my time, a little bit much to my chagrin, a, a touch, I guess, or touch to my chagrin, as I should say, I, I kind of wanted there to be an epic ballad, but because of the type of stuff we were writing, I was really, really, really excited about it. So, you know, it's, it's got this crazy intro, kind of a classic ish sort of intro. And then we kind of get into some traditional duels and I, I think it's, it's pretty cool. Um, but then I, I really thought that we could do this kind of ballady verse and keep it like that. That way, when it gets a little heavy, there's a lot of dynamic, but I know that there's a lot of stuff out there where it's like, oh, it's slow and then it's heavy. And I, uh, you know, I just didn't want it to sound like anything. And it's very easy to, to just make the fucking song long and adventurous. And then it doesn't sound like anybody, right? But it's artificial if you're doing that. Jimmy, from what I remember, was not involved in the making of the song, but he came in with melodies after after we were trying for a long time to figure out how do we make this thing again more jokes like like I think he was just like no 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 and we just started riffing off it and then like like I remember being in our studio and just like you know a lot of that is just all of us going back and forth like no do that do that. 
So it really is a sort of like egging each other on to go further and further. And I think there's a really good demo of Jimmy singing Buried Alive. Like it's online, but I remember because my I couldn't sing it. Like I was sick during that day. So Jimmy's like, I'll sing it. And just like, it's a really cool version because he's just like kind of like, and I, and I don't think we had, we didn't have any lyrics or anything and just riffing on it, you know, and then you just work it out. I couldn't really think of a, a good melody, you know, for, for that. We were kind of struggling. That's where Jimmy came in. Take the time. Da, 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 da. And when he started singing that, like, again, fucking goosebumps. I had ideas for the pre-chorus. Still I'm on my way. But it, with a harmony, you know, and it turned out to be pretty cool sequence. And then we had this sort of... Um, and we all tur- took turns singing on it. And I'm sure that everybody remembers it as Jimmy's vocal, but the majority of it is is a vocal that I wrote. He finished the Meanwhile the mass endure the wheel, which I thought was a little cheesy at the time. It's a little bit of a Lennon bite. And with Jimmy, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm pretty crazy about my, myself and, and, and Matt and stuff, but Jimmy's resident genius, you know? And so if he, if I feel like anything's phoned in, I'm fucking like, no, Jimmy, no, Jimmy, go, go, go until the genius comes. And then, um, and it usually comes right away. Um, but I, but everybody was so stoked on how that ended that we, we kind of left it. And then the end we kind of wanted this, like, I, I don't know the fucking reapers, like we're in the reaper creeper we're in the fucking, we're on the ride to hell or whatever it is. Um, and, and then that's where Matt and Jimmy just shined. They were just having fun screaming and doing all this stuff. Um, I helped a little bit with, with the rips, but, but really, um, to say that it was, uh, a part of me would be disingenuous. It's those guys that just really took this, um, left turn with the song and had a lot of fun with it. It was really fun watching them scream random funny shit. You know, the Jimmy idiosyncratic uh, melodies or rhythms and stuff that, that just you don't think are going to work, but just add that, that character that make it. So it doesn't sound like old Pantera or like it, it's just, it's unique. Now it's us. It's got a quirkiness, but it's, it's serious. It's beautiful. Like it's, it is definitely a band endeavor. And, um, yeah, super, super cool to see kind of this, this almost, I wouldn't call it Bohemian Rhapsody anymore, but it definitely has that adventurous sort of thing. It's a fan favorite. It's, it's one that will always play. Never did anything at radio, never did anything on this broad popular level or anything like that. It's, but it, but it broke through that and became a fan favorite. 
Think of the big hitters within the history of guitar music and the bands and songs that I'm about to name check. And they may all follow a similar blueprint in terms of song structure, but what sets them apart and ultimately makes these bands the measuring stick for all things loud and heavy is character. Led Zeppelin's Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. Metallica's Fade to Black was mentioned by Matt earlier. There's Guns N' Roses Civil War. My Chemical Romance, Welcome to the Black Parade. Megadeth's In My Darkest Hour. Pantera Cemetery Gates. Can I say Ascensionism from the new Sleep Token album without everyone losing their shit? Probably not, so I'll say Cosmic. Um, The philosophy on all of these songs might remain the same, but when played through the filter of a legendary band who know what they're doing, each of these songs sound distinctly unique. So, to sum all that up, what is it about Buried Alive that follows this mould while sounding distinctly Distinctly and unmistakably Avenged Sevenfold. You know, for me, I think that this song ends up being more of a classic Avenged Sevenfold song uh, for a few reasons. One, you, you got a you got a great uh, uh, you know clean guitar riff from from Sin to start it off. It's a great riff. It's kind of the precipice of it. You know, you hear that. You like, got to make a whole song out of it, and then you start putting a song together in the way that we do. And yeah, you can make the the references to other other songs that have done the soft verses into the heavy choruses, and we've heard that before. However, with this one, I don't think I've heard an approach to the vocal melody specifically like this. Um, I mean, even down to the verse melody is very, I don't know, almost R&B-like if you really listen to just the melody. Um, of course, it sounds different through our filters and everything, but it, it's the, you know, the basis of it is really pretty much an R&B style uh, verse melody. And then kind of a, in my opinion, unconventional chorus. Hey, I can't live in here for another day. Darkness is kept like concealed. Grim as ever. Hold on to faith as I dig another grave. Meanwhile, the Real as ever, and it seems I've been buried alive. Just the way that the that the structure of the melody sits over it is not very orthodox to me. Um, which I think those two things right there kind of separate it and make it more Avenged Sevenfold than anything else. It's a great song that can be compared to other great songs for sure. And I believe it stands up next to some of those classic songs. But as far as making it, it's an Avenged Sevenfold song. I think once, just like everything else, once you put it through the filter, once you put the idea through our filters, it becomes an Avenged Sevenfold song. And then, of course, with the end, just going into the heavy, simplistic uh, droning and that just kind of, again, that kind of takes you down to hell in a way, you know? And, uh, I think that's another thing that just makes it a little different, you know? Um, and you got the anthemic part at the end, you know, get your fucking hands off me, you know, like that, those things that when you play that song live, you feel that, you feel that anthemic back at you, which is, I, I don't think is very typical for the way to end a song that's almost ballady, you know? So, uh, I think, I think, I guess what makes this song not a, just a classic metal or hard rock song 
and an Avenged Sevenfold classic song is just that it is unconventional while being conventional at the same time. I mean, the reason it really has our signature sound is because just the way that we our performance, the way that we perform that song in the studio live, um, Matt's vocals, the way that me and Brian attack the guitar leads and the riffs and, um, you know, the way that the drums were written. I mean, Jimmy was a monster on the drums and he loved, you know, the classic metal shit. And we all listened to the master of puppets and all that stuff. And just the, you know, Dave Lombardo stuff and just stompy, you know, super heavy metal drums. And, and, you know, before he passed away, you know, he, he incorporated that into the, the song, into the demos. took a life of its own was after we lost Jimmy and in the studio, it was um, just capturing how we all felt because if, if we hadn't gone through what we went through, it may have just ended up being a song and that kind of helped define our sound, you know, during that period. And I think that's kind of why it's so uniquely avenged, even though it does have classic metal elements and, you know, like the end breakdown is, you know, reminiscent of something you might hear Metallica do in the early days or something, but it's, it's so uniquely us because of what we were going through, what we added to it. And, um, you know, I think that even listening to it today, when I hear that it's, it's not like a, an attempt, uh, of paying homage to, to metal bands. It was like where we felt we needed to be, um, what was in our hearts, the music that we loved and just, you know, a whole, layer of darkness over it because of everything that we'd been through. Slight sidebar, but I put it to shadows that this song had the signature avenged gothic sound that makes it uniquely them. I think that's just what we gear towards. And you, you shouldn't say that to Sin because if you say that to Sin, he's going to try to he's going to try to strip out that element. Then when he writes the next thing, because um, I know that sounds get, about right. Yeah, because I, I feel like whenever we like when we feel when we like notice something that we do a lot, right? Then it's like our mission to strip it out. Like, don't do that. So, um, but I think there is like if you look at the whole overall nightmare record, you could have. Welcome to the family, which is super poppy, but the whole record feels gothic in a way, like that sort of melodic minor. And if you think about it, all we did on Hail to the King was try to strip that out, was that melodic minor thing. We were, we were dealing with much more major modes. We were like, okay, instead of the down, 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 it's got to be down, 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 down. Like, it's got to be much more bluesy, right? Like... It's so funny. Like we, we pick up on these things and then we're, and we start like getting annoyed at ourselves. Um, I don't know what it is, but yeah, the nightmare record definitely all over. It has that sort of minor dark Gothic feel, you know, and basically the overtones of everything we do on it. 
The beauty of covering Buried Alive the month after we took you through the story of Afterlife is that it shows the stark contrast in tone between how both of these records were recorded in two varying ways, very distinct and different ways. On the one hand, there was the band's natural inclination to counter themselves. You literally just heard Matt talking about it. If the band feel like they've done something before, it is their natural inclination to go in the opposite direction and that involved a turn into darker soundscapes on Nightmare and that came despite the immense success of the sugary leanings of the self-titled album. We came off of a very fun record on the self-titled record. We had a lot of fun making that record and uh, it showed. I mean we had songs of a little piece of heaven, dear God on there. We were running the spectrum like after the success of City of Evil, we were like, you know, that, this was our experimental, our first experimental record, right? And um, it was a lot of fun. I, there was some sugary stuff on there, obviously, but it was just more loose, I would say. And I think it's not necessarily that when we were writing Nightmare, it was, let's make it dark. Let's make it, it was like, no, that was loose. Let's tighten it up a little bit. Let's, let's, let's get a little bit more mature about these parts. So it's like, let's take it seriously. Let's get some great songs together. And um, it was more of a stern record or more of a stern approach to writing a record. Um, and then by the end, when you, when you get to hear it as, as a fan, hearing the record for the first time, this is after we had lost the Rev three months prior, you know, three or four months prior, whatever the, don't, <laughs> don't fact check me on the timing there. My mind was completely fucking gone. Um, but yeah, like whatever that timing was before, between the rev passing and nightmare coming out, that was the recording process to us. And that took on a completely different dark tone. Uh, the lyrics became, you know, revolving around what had happened in our lives. Sonically, I don't think you could get more of, you know, I, I think Brian's talked about this here on the podcast. Um, but we, sometimes we talk in colors when we're, when we're describing music and, um, there is no other way to describe this one than a, a, a blue. It's just dark, a dark blue, just a dark blue, purple, black. Like those are the colors of this record. And it's because what we were going through, um, it started off stern. It be, it probably still would have had, uh, you know, uh, that coloration if we're, if we're describing music in colors, but it definitely took more of a dark turn after losing the rev. Yeah, so it's a like the record in its entirety is pretty pretty dark. It's got old school avenged elements, but for me, like I, I, at that point, especially coming off um, the incredible ride that that the self titled record was, it just had to be serious. It couldn't be throwbacky at all, and then and still just like poppy over it. Like it just it was a serious endeavor, and that was kind of the way to do it at that point was to to just make a very dark and serious record. So if anything got a little too cute or too sugary, we were, we were all very anti it. We, we definitely wanted to write a big boy, serious record and, and not just like fuck around and throw anything, throw anything cute around and, and have a good laugh about it. This was definitely more of a challenging little bit, little bit of a painstaking record overall. Um, and it, and it was, uh, pretty poetic because 
definitely that platform uh, was a perfect place to lie the bed of lyrics over um, once Jimmy had passed. After Jimmy passed away, it rained in Southern California, like hardcore pouring rain for longer than I ever remember living here. It just wouldn't let up. It was weeks and weeks and weeks of just pouring rain. I remember sitting upstairs, looking outside at just, you know, the rain on the asphalt, just pounding away for days and days at night. And I just wrote those lyrics, obviously with Jimmy in mind, obviously with what we were going through um, and just trying to find some sort of center, like some sort of, you know, semblance of self. Take the time just to listen When the voice is screaming I'm much too loud Take a look in the distance Try and see it all Yeah, take the time just to listen When the voice is screaming I'm much too loud Like everything's happening And you're just, you're just alone Trying to figure it out Immense uh, pain and hollowness And then you know, obviously shifting into the more angry darkness in the second half of the song, which, you know, it calls for. While it seems sick, sober up quick, psycho lunatic, crushing you with odds of fight. Shame to find out when it's too late, but you're all the same, trapped inside and fired out. Evil thoughts can hide, I'll help release the mind, I'll peel away the skin, release the dark within. In that particular song, I, I'm certain that it comes across as having an extra layer of the, the sadness and the darkness because of the lyrics, um, it's so on the nose. It's so exactly what we were feeling. You literally, at that moment, you feel like you're buried alive. You feel like there's no hope. There's no light. There's no um, pulling yourself out of this miserable, you know, uh, place that you're at. And you know, up until that point, you've been through heartaches, you've been through some shit, but never anything like this that completely blindsides you and comes out of nowhere. And, um, you know, it was just extremely powerful because that's just that's how we felt. Everything that changed and revolved around the passing of Jimmy came after more lyrically and tone. But we were still running the gamut of, of, of human emotions because we're humans and that's what we're writing, right? And it's not as quick of waves. Like when you're emotionally distraught, you're, you're feeling all those things a little bit more discombobulated. But it's not like you've never felt those things before as a human being. They've just been slower, gradual. You've been able to feel them run through those and stuff. It's, the, it's when trauma happens and so you get all of it at once and you can't fucking sift through which one you're supposed to feel at that particular moment. And that's where the chaos comes from that, that we have. And uh, uh, I think we played into a little bit more on that record. Jimmy. 
chart positions are something that rarely come up on this show, but Nightmare holds the distinct and unique accolade of being the band's first number one album. A number one album is an achievement that such a small percentage of bands can lay claim to, but Avenged Sevenfold sit justifiably in that elite club. Nevertheless, it came up naturally in conversation with both Johnny and Zaki that this was the band's first number one album and you got to remember as Johnny has mentioned before on this very show Avenged Sevenfold are a band that celebrated their first video shoot for Unholy Confessions by getting wasted in a limo across Los Angeles California and this was the band's first number one album it's a huge moment in a band's lifespan especially a band that have been friends since they were teenagers and dreamt of a moment like a number one album so it coming at this point in time was understandably conflicting for the guys i wasn't in the mood to celebrate anything <laughs> let's be real like there was just no mood to be celebrating i mean sure you know after the initial shock you kind of get a little happier that but then it's bittersweet like you're numb first i think at first just, i don't know what to feel Shortly after that, it's like, oh, well, you know, that's good. It's good. We got this done. It's an accomplishment. It went number one. It's, it's Jimmy's last piece of music. Uh, we did it justice. We did, we did some, an accomplishment. And then it's bittersweet again, right, right, right back to the, but he's not here to celebrate it with us. So what am I celebrating? I literally didn't give a fuck about anybody else in the world, anybody else in the world except my bandmates. And Jimmy, um, I was determined to do anything that I could move heaven and earth and fucking go through hell to give that guy a number one record because I truly believed he deserved it. We get fucking snubbed at the Grammys. We get snubbed. I don't fucking care. I don't never fucking cared about any of that shit. And I, I never will care, but I did care about this because I think that guy deserved a fucking proper send off for a brilliant brilliant, you know, talent that he possessed. And the album was, it's one of my favorite albums, um, no matter who would have written it. And it had to be number one, just to fucking rub it in everyone's face in the entire world and feel how we felt um, and show the, the testament of what we were capable of and how strong of people we were and what we had to do to get there. And it wasn't like a, a you know, a celebration like, Hey, you know, uh, this is going to be a huge party. We're popping bottles of champagne or whatever. It was like a more of like a sigh of relief. Like, fuck, we did it. And now we can go sleep for a fucking month. <laughs> kind of even, even though we weren't granted that opportunity, you know, we didn't, weren't able to to take any, any breaks, but it was just like getting through that process was so tiring, so draining, but being able to go to Jimmy's family and, and just know that you did it was the first time in my entire life that I knew that what we had was so, so special that we were able to overcome uh, something that I don't think a lot of people would ever be able to, to bounce back from. As anyone knows that's listening to this has lost someone that close and that shocking. I think they would understand like the gamut of emotions that you run through on a minute to minute base, you know? So when you do get news, it's you're reacting based on what emotion you're having right that moment. When it's so fresh, I mean, as time goes on, it's the only thing that, that, that helps is time. There's nothing else that actually helps. Um, 
And I don't even know that as I get older, I'm not even sure that it actually helps. I think you just get preoccupied with other shit because you're, you just got to keep living your life. Um, because it still hurts the same when you think about it. It's just you're not thinking about it as often, I think. We are talking Buried Alive, and just before we get into music theory with Sin, let's not forget that this song has some mighty fine heavy metal going on. On the Nightmare record, one thing that we we went to twice, and it clearly works because um, they're both in big songs, is just chugging on drop D with a one-two beat. And if you can incorporate that and not get overthink it or or over, because there is something about just and then you let the drums kind of rally around the. You know, it's like the Indians, you're rallying around the the fire pit or whatever it is. It's like something so primal to that. And we do it in Nightmare 2 with the bridge. Fight, fight. Never changing notes, never like just chugging along. And so, yeah, it's a total throwback to bands like Metallica or Pantera or Megadeth that have done those things. And it's just like, it's in your blood, right? It's like, but being able to like restrain and not do more is the beauty of it. And I think that's why Buried Alive, it's like, once you have that aha moment of, okay, the beginning's a ballad-esque thing, but it's got to be serious. It's got to have, the choruses have to pop, but the second song's heavy. But all it is, is literally just chugging on drop D with a couple little things that kind of, turnarounds that have it and you just keep going back to it over and over and over. That's the aha moment, right? That's like the, this is going to be great because you don't have to make the listener think too much to go too far down this journey. They just want to rock out at that point. And you are giving them the quintessential raw bare bones, heavy metal chug that heavy metal is so good at that. There's no other genre that can replace that sort of feeling of two guitars and a bass just chugging on drop D with, with drums. Pure Wayne's world, smash a can on your head stuff. Like you can't, yeah. you can't like for all of the sophistication, we might like and other stuff when that comes in. That is what I think has always been the thing that people overthink metal. Um, sometimes I think if you look at our career, we've always had those moments, whether it's the riff in Eternal Rest... Pure Southern, just metal, like simplicity, critical acclaim. And then on the new record, nobody. Just... It's like... So I think one thing that I, that I wish people would write more for is just a feeling. Like that's a feeling. And as soon as you complicate it with more notes and you start it just takes away from the raw power of what you're trying to get across. Cause a lot of times the air that's pushing through your speakers, 
or just the raw, like, and like one of the greatest verse of all times, Diamond Eyes by Deftones. Same thing. It's just grinding into your skull because it's just drums and a riff. And it, and there's just something great about that. And, and as soon as you throw a couple notes in there, it really ruins it for me, anyways. And um, you see some of these classics. That's what they did. They just, they were grinding on a feeling. And it's awesome. You know how we do it on tracks each and every month. We have a maestro amongst our ranks, so you're damn well right that we utilise that. Music Theory with Sin is the part of the show where we get a little bit more musical when discussing the songs, sounds and structures of the songs that make up the Avenged Sevenfold Back catalogue. And so, here he is. It's Music Theory with Sin, the Buried Alive edition. I mean it as a compliment when I say it's very clean to anyone listening. You don't have to be a musician to hear the guitars that open Buried Alive and hear how pristine and clean that is to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, so we kind of wanted an old school vibe. I mean, you could have done this, this song so many different ways. You know, but we wanted to kind of go old school in the beginning and then modern towards the end could have been completely the opposite. We could have gotten like this crazy sparkly chorused out intro and then super saturated guitars at the end and all this kind of stuff. But but we did it. uh, We did it a little differently. And um, I'm, I'm glad that we did. So yeah, it opens up with the this uh, this intro, and it's uh, yeah, just old school. I forget the instrumentation that we we used, um, maybe an old Fender or something like that, or maybe a Telecaster um, into an old school amp, maybe a Princeton or something. I believe is what it was. And just let the 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 instrument speak for itself rather than doing the eighties overproduced, you know, glossy, whatever, which I love. I'm not saying that in a, in a negative way. And then, you know, really clean dueling guitars, very, very little, echo or you know delay echo uh, reverb and stuff like that um which again you know when you're listening to those old school metal records i mean it's just it's it's so wet you know it's fucking there's not a a dry instrument uh to to be seen or heard um in that era and to kind of do the the opposite with it was cool but we're you know at that point you know we didn't have any problems getting clean takes in the studio Zachy's right hand is 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 next level, insane, insanely tight, and uh, uh, I think there's probably a sexual joke there, but um, I'll save that for the audience. 
tight, tight, or this is actually tight left hand. This is, he's a lefty. Tight, tight left hand. That's what it is. <laughs> Just really upfront, really clean. Um, not too much on Matt's vocals either, but we've always kind of kept that hip hop influence where the we we keep a really dry front front vocal. We don't we want it to be very present. We we rarely double his vocals. Um, he's just got that monster voice, and the minute you double it, the minute you put too much verb or delay and stuff, you lose it, and it can you know it can kind of infer that there's big, powerful, the big, you know, uh, omnipotence, but it's not, it's, it's fake to me. I walked the fields through the fire, taking steps until I found solid ground, follow dreams reaching higher, couldn't survive the fall. What, what has been lost at times, and I think we've talked about this, is the blues. And um, being a huge Zeppelin fan, um, I I really wanted to, you know, I didn't want to just rip off Stairway to Heaven. And it didn't come from that at all. It was it was definitely integrating the melodies. I had the ideas for these songs and stuff. But like very bluesy. And I think that that if the blues doesn't exist in your music at all, I have a tough time finding the soul of, of the artist, of the tune, of the record. Um, and one thing I'm really proud of is, is our modern approach to blues. And that was, uh, that's a, to me, a great example of it. And even the melody that Jimmy writes, take the time just to listen. That's fucking blues, you know? Um, and we can do neoclassical very easily. I mean, that's, it's just, you know, you just plug in the chords and arpeggiate them and, and there you go. But to, to integrate the blues and to integrate soul and like passion and depth. Um, I think this band does very uniquely, um, very, uh, very well. And, and there's a lot of that. Um, like that's, that's a snaky little blues thing. You know, it's not like, it's it's in there, you know. The the blues are are in there. Take you down now, burn it all out, throw you all around, get your fucking hands off me. How do you find those melodies? Because the dual leads that usher in the first verse in particular, like I really love what the counter melodies do throughout this song. When you're finding them, is that something, is that a you and Zaki thing or is that a you like driving yourself mad in a room thing? Like, is it fun? Is it frustrating? How do you find those those dual counter melodies because usually people just do the thin Lizzie or Metallica thing, right? Double up on those things, but these are yeah. counter melodies for sure. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Zachy would agree that you know certainly the the nerdiness of it is is my domain. Whether he comes up with it or I come up with the melody, I'm definitely uh, making you know the uh, the sub melodies, whether they're contrapuntal or or whatever. They are the, the different types of motions, you know, contrary motion, oblique motion, whatever it is. I just like it to fit. And it's just a, it's just a taste thing. And it's not incredibly 
difficult when it's, when it's fast, it's, it's definitely difficult, but that one wasn't too difficult. I just, you know, it's slower. I just don't like it to end on, I just don't like the melodies to, to be parallel. So I like to, things to end on a third and, but again, it can be too sugary. And sometimes you want to add those fourth and fifth intervals in there. And sometimes more so if there's like bluesy elements, you'll have the fourth and fifth types of things. So it's, it's just a taste. There's no rhyme or reason uh, for the madness. It's just, it's just what you hear and what you want it to sound like. is it for our time together on tracks please do subscribe and check out the older episodes as we continue to take you through the event sevenfold back catalogue one song at a time i've been your host bees you've been really great and we'll be back for another track on the next episode of tracks see you next time